Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and let you know what we've been playing recently. And a uh, good episode because we have Mozart Games, Meeple and the Moose, The Meeple Dungeon, The Tabletop Bellhop, Board on the Air. Borden Game with Andrew Buckles. Definitely a board game podcast. Dyson Dragons. And Cardboard Conjecture. Please remember to check out the show notes for the links to the cast. And, uh, well, you know, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. This is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I'm thrilled to be back again on What You've Been Playing Wednesday this week. If you want to give me a follow on Twitter, you can find me on there as SpiderMo. That's Spider with a Y. I'll often post pics of games that I've been playing, some of my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a few rants and raves along the way. This week, I want to talk about a new game that I was able to try twice while at Shucks earlier this month. It's called Keystone North America from designers Isaac Vega and Jeffrey Joyce, and published by Rose Gauntlet Games, which is Isaac's new company, along with his business partner, Lindsay Rode. It plays one to four players and takes about 90 minutes to play a full game. In Keystone, players are trying to collect various flora and fauna tiles to fill their 4x4 board in such a way that they're able to score as many points as possible at game end. Each tile has a number from 1 to 5 printed on it, as well as various biome icons that you want to match as much as possible during the game. You want tiles in each row and column that are in numerical order, as they'll score more points at game end if you can make larger runs. The biomes allow players to collect tokens during the game that are used as currency, and will also score some points of their own at game end. Various tiles will also have symbols representing keystone animals, which will score you more points as well as other symbols that you'll be trying to match to your secret objective for endangered species or research symbols. In all, this is very much a point salad game where everything you do earns you points in some way, but how well you manage all of these areas will be key to your success or failure at the end of the game. On a player's turn, they get two actions, and those actions can be to take and place a tile from the market to their board, purchase a wild tile, or use one of the special actions that are randomly set up at the start of the game. These special actions also work as part of a timer to the game, as the more that they are used, the shorter the game will be. Otherwise, the game will end once one player has completely filled their player board. Each round, players have to carefully choose which tiles they will draft, having to spend tokens to take ones that are further back on the track by placing their own tokens on any animals passed over, making them more valuable to players in later rounds. 
When selecting a tile, you must decide how it will score you the most points at game end, as you need to make runs in ascending or descending order. But all tiles in that run also have to share at least one biome. Every tile will also potentially score for both the row and the column that it is in, and it can be very difficult to maximize your scoring in that sense. You might need a four-value tile that has both a wetland and an arctic biome to score it properly, and you may also need a specific research icon in order to reach your hidden objective in that space as well. So players are constantly having to decide when to pivot or when to ignore one area completely, so as not to jeopardize their other endgame scoring areas. Fortunately, the special action tiles can help you immensely, as they allow you to look through the discards to take a tile, or through the top of the deck to do the same. Some of the tiles also allow you to move tiles previously placed, or to research previously placed tiles, which will score you more points at game end for your runs. However, each of these tiles also forces you to discard other, other tiles from the market, which cycles them through very quickly. Because of this feature, players cannot plan their turns in advance, as you have no idea what's going to be available to you until your turn is about to start. I do wish there was a way to mitigate this cycling of tiles a little bit, as there's no restriction as to what tiles can be removed, meaning a savvy player will see something that their opponent may need and take an action that removes it before they even have a chance to take it themselves. Because actions are so limited in this game, this kind of take-that mechanic really hurts the game, as there are very few ways to mitigate it. There were a lot of groans at our table every round, as much-needed tiles were discarded and buried in the discards before players were able to get them. For a game about preserving ecosystems, this seemed a little counterintuitive, but we all still really enjoyed our plays of it. Experience definitely plays a huge part in this game, as our scores increased dramatically in the second play, with the winning score nearly doubling from the first game to the second. The artwork on all of the cards and tiles is gorgeous, and the game has amazing table presence. Even though every tile has a lot of icons on it, as many as nine things that players are looking for, they're still super clear and easy to read. The player boards are double-sided, and although I loved the look of the artwork uh, on each one, I used the plain green side of my second game as I found that artwork to be a little distracting when trying to make sure that I had everything in order. There also appears to be a huge solo mode included in the box with a dedicated manual inside with 20 scenarios that players can work their way through. There are also several sealed envelopes included in the box that I believe are for use in the solo mode, adding new tiles to the game, which I think can be used in the full game as well. I'm very curious to try this game a little bit more to see how to make my ecosystems work as much as possible. I definitely felt like things clicked partway through our first game and was glad that we tried it again the next day. I don't think it'll get stale with all the options that are available to players during the game, and using the same strategies will not guarantee a victory, depending on what your opponents are doing. Definitely give Keystone North America a try if you have an opportunity to find this one in the wild. Thanks again for listening to my thoughts and muses about this game. Feel free to share your thoughts about this review with me. Once again, I'm Chris Morris, and you can find me on Twitter as Spidermo. May all of your dice rolls be critical successes. Hello, 
My name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeePlayingMovies.com, and I'm here to talk to you today about the games I played this week for what you've been playing Wednesday. This week we played Caverna, the Cave Farmers by Uwe Rosenberg again, shattering our tradition of only ever playing new games. I jest, but sometimes it can feel like we play each of our games once a year at most. If you listened to my segment last week, you would have heard me vaguely comparing Caverna and Agricola against each other and proclaiming that Agricola is my preferred farming simulator. That discussion did inspire a lot of thought in me. Should games be considered in a vacuum? When we play and talk about games, should we be comparing them to other products by the designer or publisher or the wider market in general? Or should we try to put those those out of our minds and just focus on the game specifically? I think there's value in comparisons, but if you disagree, please reach out and let me know what you think. A quick recap of Caverna, the Cave Farmers. Caverna is a worker placement game in which you are trying to amass the most points by building rooms in your cave, planting crops, and breeding animals. You place your workers onto a main action board, take the depicted resources or the action, and continue in this fashion until the end of the game. Each time all players have exhausted their workers, they determine if there's a harvest or not. If there is, they pull food from their fields, feed their workers, two food per worker, and then their animals breed. The next round card is then flipped, unveiling a new action available for players to take, and then at the end of 12 rounds, whoever has the most points is the winner. After a subsequent play of Caverna, I am resolute in my opinion that I prefer Agricola. Caverna is much more static, the furnishing board that offers game-breaking benefits and massive endgame scoring opportunities is the same in every game. Caverna is also more open and easy with allowing players to fill gaps in their engines with the expeditions that will allow you to collect a variety of resources and the rubies which act as wildcard resources. I could see rote openings and meta strategies developing Caverna if you play it over and over again. Comparatively, Agricola has decks and decks of cards, making the occupations and tools different in every game. I will concede that for some, the tightness of impending famine is stress inducing and watching someone get a handful of cards that work beautifully together can be downright frustrating. But discovering those combinations tickles the roguelike obsessed part of my brain just right. Caverna is a great game. Playing either Caverna or Agricola is absolutely worth your time, but I don't believe that anyone actually needs to own both of these games. This is a case where you should try out both games and decide for yourself which one you like more. If you enjoy randomness and variability, seek out Agricola. If you prefer refining your strategy with a more static setup, then Caverna the Cave Armors might just be the right game for you. This weekend was my wife's birthday, so I had arranged for a babysitter to watch her toddler and I whisked her away for an evening of dinner and a theater performance. We saw Glory by Tracy Power, I highly recommend if a playhouse near you puts on a performance. The playhouse is about an hour away from where we live and wanting to beat the non-existent traffic, we ended up with an hour to kill when we got there. We found a picnic table at an Oceanside Park and broke out our travel-sized Quirkle. Quirkle is a tile placement game for 2-4 to four players designed by Susan McKinley Ross. In Quirkle, every tile has a shape and a color. To place a tile onto a shared tableau, you must match one of those two qualities, but not both. You get a point for every tile you place, plus any adjacent tiles. In addition, if you manage to place the sixth shape in a row of colors or the sixth color in a line of shapes, you quirkle and earn six bonus points. The player with the most points at the end of the game is the winner. Quirkle is easy to play, but it's still enough for, it's still enough to bury my head in my hands. The challenge with Quirkle is that quite often your best move tends to set up other players for even better plays. The further you stretch out those lines, the more likely it is that they'll have that golden six tile and slam it down for a Quirkle. 
That being said, Corkle is a great game to take to the beach and enjoy while listening to the quietly crashing waves and to the seagull in the distance that is begging for chips. And that's all I played this week. If you want to hear more of my board game reviews, you can find them on my blog, MeepleInTheMoose.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at MooseMeeple, or on Instagram, at MeepleInTheMoose. Have a happy Wednesday. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. We've been playing one game this week. What game is that, Anna-Marie? That game is My Father's Work, designed by T.C. Petty III and published by Renegade Game Studios. Yeah, My Father's Work. This is a game that you were really, really interested in. And yeah. And um, pre-ordered and it showed up, uh, I don't know couple months back yeah and then uh we finally got to start playing it and the theme of this one it takes place in like uh i don't know what year this takes place but like 1800s yeah sometime yeah maybe 17 1800s and 18 like like 30s is that it yeah okay yeah and you are basically a mad scientist and although you don't start out that way (laughs) no but you're you're basically trying to um carry on your father's work yeah <laughs> like, your father's your father's passed away um and he's uh, you received a letter that he's left you an inheritance yes and so then you're going it's like his estate and you're um yeah and you're just you get you see some of his work and you you just feel compelled to finish it yeah and he was the mad scientist yes because he was like you you discover the different um experiments and things that he was in the middle of doing and then yeah you feel compelled to to continue on with that stuff so what it is is you have like a main board which has got some tracks on it and um, that do various things and then there's a book like a uh, ringed coil book that is actually your kind of your main like map of the game and as you go through the game that you're going to be flipping pages and like and laying that book down on the board and it shows you the different locations that you can go to in this game. And then you have your own player board which kind of represents your house, like your manor that yes. um, you you carry out your actual experiments within with a whole bunch of different worker placement spots. And then on the board itself like on the book those are also worker placement spots. Yeah, there's certain characters that can go into the town, certain characters that can only go in your estate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you basically you're going to have a uh, a major for every uh, for every scenario. So there's three scenarios yes. that you can do. And we're currently working on one called uh, the cost of disease. And so that that uh, makes you have a specific setup for the board and you go you go to specific pages of the book and you have specific um, items that are, are come out of this little box that you use for the game. And yeah, you're going to have a, a main kind of experiment that you need to carry out for the the current game that you're doing. Yes. And by the end of three generations, you need to have hopefully completed that. That's what's going to get you the most victory points at the end of this. But along the way, you're going to be carrying out a whole bunch of different experiments. Because on your turn, there's basically three decks of experiments that you're going to be uh doing working through yeah Yeah. and you need to collect certain resources and and uh, have completed 
certain experiments prior to finishing off other experiments because they'll have like a little uh, it's like a pyramid scheme right like where you have to complete this experiment in order to complete this experiment and these experiments to complete this experiment yeah and you're you're working towards your main one by doing all these other ones and it's really simple game we haven't um we're not going to give away too too much of of what we think of it yet because we're going to uh be uh, doing a full review of it on our podcast, the Meeple Dungeon podcast. But yeah, this is a general rundown of how it kind of works and what you're doing in this game. And yeah, it, it's a fun one so far. Like it's um, it's a lot different than I anticipated. Yeah, and the whole the whole while while you're doing your experiments, you're also having to balance the townsfolk because yeah, that's the tracks that I mentioned on the board earlier. Yeah, you're trying to to do complete your father's work, but if you're you're spending too much time there and you're being secluded, the townsfolk get kind of curious, like, what's, what are they doing over there? What are you, what, what's happening really over there? really cool thematically. And you're, you don't, you need to balance that so that, you know, the townsfolk don't get too curious and, and uh, upset. And, and mm-hmm. while well, you get, you know, still get your experiments done. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a neat, a neat balancing mechanism yeah, and, and act they have in there particularly funny because it's called the creepy track yeah. so the more <laughs> creepy you are the more angry they and like suspicious the townspeople become and it's got these two tokens that are working towards each other so you've got like your creepy token moving up the board up the track and then they have the pitch f- flaming pitchfork token <laughs> going the other way so if they ever meet then it becomes a a bad situation for whatever player may have triggered that it reminds me of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it's exactly like the that. townsfolk with Gaston leading them up to the it's castle. Exactly that. <laughs> and yeah, it's 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 a really cool like um, story driven. Yeah, we should say that it is an um, app driven game. Yeah, it's very story driven because it does have an app that goes with this, and some of it's narrated, uh, narrated, and so forth. And yeah, we don't want to give too much more away. So that's what we've been playing this week. My father's work. And yeah, you can look for our full review of this on the next episode, episode 46 of the Meeple Dungeon podcast. But I think that's it for this week. So we will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, helping you make your game nights better. First off, let me apologize for missing the last couple of weeks. I had some dental surgery that didn't go as well as it could have, and it's been taking longer than expected to heal. Due to this, even though it's been three weeks, I don't have a ton of games to talk about today, but I do have four, so let's get going. First up was trying Mountains Out of Mole Hills, which was sent to me by the op, and I tried this one out with the extended family. As expected, my kids loved this one. They loved the way the game looked with its two-tiered board, acrylic standees with awesome artwork on it, and rubbery hills. They loved the programmed movement system and the chaos that was caused by it. It was a huge hit. Mim ended up enjoying it quite a bit as well. Now, we played a second game of Mountains Out of Mole Hills in in the last couple weeks, uh, and this was a four-player game with our friends Tori and Kat, and they both enjoyed it as well, though I gotta say not quite as much as my kids did. Overall, that's three plays so far with two hits and a miss, with that miss being our only two-player game. While I was a bit worried after that first game, it seems this may have just be one of those games that needs at least three players. 
Now, I still want to get in a couple of more plays, at least one with three players, before I share my final thoughts and a review. So look forward to hearing more about Mountains Out of Molehills in the coming weeks. Next up, we replayed and finally successfully finished Scenario 4 of The Ghost Betwixt. Uh, we split the party differently and that seemed to help. Now, one thing that was interesting to me, and it was something I was looking forward to discovering, is that the game did feel quite different, especially the second half, due to all the things that are randomly generated while playing, like what rooms come up in what order and where monsters spawn and so on. While replaying the mission did feel similar, like we'd definitely played it before, it didn't feel like we just played the same game again, which is a really good thing. While we did win this time, which was a relief, the game still took a very long time. I'm guessing about four hours, though I forgot to check the time when we got started to know for sure. This does seem to be par for the course with this game, and honestly I think this may be the biggest turnoff for some groups for this game. Long extended gameplay. This is an epic game, probably the only game you're going to play during a single game. Now on a more positive note, finishing Scenario 4 unlocked a lot of stuff. We finally know what monster trophies for 4 are for though we were tracking them wrong and probably missing out on some stuff we should have earned that could have been explained better in the rule book before we got here. Uh, we can also now go shopping and sell items through a pretty cool random in-stock system. And we unlock scavenger hunts, which I gotta say are a bit of a mixed blessing because they add replayable content. They're missions you can do over and over again and missions you can just play without having to have finished the full campaign. But it also made it so that the full campaign isn't six missions, as it says on the box and as was advertised. Um, we're now at a minimum of nine missions to finish the game. Now, what this last bit means is there's no way we're getting this one finished by Halloween, which was our original goal. Instead, what I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to provide a detailed review and thoughts on tonight's live show. Uh, that's Wednesday, October 19th, sharing what we think so far, having been through a uh, guess half the game approximately at this point then sometime in the future i hope to do a follow-up once we actually finish the entire campaign in the ghost betwixt so if you're curious to learn even more about this game again join us tonight on twitch next up we got in our first four-player game of cowboy bebop space serenade which japanime games sent to us to check out what was most interesting here is that we played it with a couple who knew nothing about cowboy bebop except that it's a well-known anime they didn't even know the premise of the series and I'm very pleased to say that didn't matter at all. Like the theme of a mixed ragtag bunch of bounty hunters who are kind of working together while trying to outdo each other is pretty straightforward. And I got to say, it makes pretty much perfect sense, even if you don't know exactly who Spike Spiegel is. Now, both Tori and Kat really enjoyed the game, and they actually asked to play it again the next time we get together, and that's always a good sign. Now, personally, I enjoyed this play even more than our last play as I get to learn the game more, right? Develop a bit of game mastery. I discover better ways the cards interact and better ways to use them and seeing some people pull off some really good combos to get some good scoring before cashing in a bounty was cool to see. Now, as for a full review, it's going to be a bit for this one. Uh, we've only played twice at this point, but I will say it's looking really good so far. As for my last game, I have been playing around with a prototype copy of Pocketbook Adventures. Now this one's live right now on Kickstarter and I strongly suggest go right now and check it out. This is a solo play RPG style adventure that reminds me of classic Japanese role playing games like Dragon Quest and Zelda. You get this small spiral bound book that fits in your pocket and all you need to play is that book and a pencil. Each adventure gives you a, like a grid style map and you're moving around the map and you're collecting coins and hearts and battling monsters. And battling's done with this unique point the pencil with your eyes closed system that actually works really well. 
you're going to take all the stuff you earn and then between adventures you can kind of level up and buy gear it actually does a really good job of giving that classic rpg feel it's it's actually really cool now for any of you in the u.s to me this is a no-brainer it's 12 bucks u.s including shipping which is a great price especially for the amount of fun i'm having and i'm still i'm at the first boss fight at this point now of course it's a bit more here in canada and there is shipping but i still think this one's worth it now i'm also going to be reviewing pocket adventures tonight live show so if you want to know more about how that games works i hope to see you tonight well that's it for the games i've been playing already mentioned twice but we're recording a live show tonight on twitch twitch.tv slash tabletop bellhop we go live at 9 p.m eastern time uh, that episode tonight, we're going to have Sean and I are sharing some great games for a Halloween game night. We're, of course, reviewing the Ghost Betwixt and Pocketbook Adventures. And, of course, there will be more, including the other games I've been playing recently. I hope to see you there. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano. Good day and game on. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Born in the Air, a weekly radio show in Saskatoon, and this is What Have You Been Playing? On uh, this week's episode, we're going to talk about... Dungeons, Dice, and Danger. Because why have D&D when you can have D-D-N-D? <laughs> yes, this is by Richard Garfield. He of Magic, uh, King of Tokyo, Keyforge, Key many, many games. This is a roll and write game. For one to four players... I think. Yep. And as most roller rights, it's pretty simple. You all play on the same paper because there's four different dungeons you're going through. Each player gets the same dungeon. Yeah. And first player, well, the start player of the turn will take five dice, shake them up, and roll them. Four of them are one color. One of them is black. The black die, only that player can use. Everyone else can use the other four or use basically a one-time effect to be able to use the black die yeah it's you're you're making two numbers uh and you have to add up the two or two of the four dice to make one number and the other two dice to make the other number uh you are it's a dungeon crawl you're trying to get from the basically the entrances to monsters treasure chests yeah there's five to six monsters in the dungeon and there's treasure chests and gems and stuff you can get uh, there's two treasure chests which allow you to unlock two special abilities uh, out of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gems are three points each. And then the main main part of the game is you're trying to defeat the monsters. Once all the monsters are defeated once, then the game ends. Uh, first person to defeat a monster gets or like X usually gems. two gems or two or three gems. And the other people all get one. Yeah, unless it's the boss monster, which then you get six and no one else gets anything. Yeah, well, he'll get everybody gets however many times they've hit him. Yeah. Uh, interesting game. Uh, lots of good decisions. Uh, the whole uh, where do I use that number, which numbers work best for me. Because uh, if you can't use one of the numbers, you, you take a hit. Take a hit. And you only have so many health points. Yeah, and... It was a neat little thing where you're like, okay, I have this 11 so I can get this treasure chest here to get more special abilities, or I can put it here to get closer to new areas so I don't run out of numbers to put out, Yeah, which happened to you. Yeah, I got locked into one corner and couldn't get out of it, and 
basically I only could use two or three numbers by the end and they didn't get rolled and I quickly died. Yeah. Uh, Mum won. Yeah. It yeah, was... it's... It, I, I don't know what the best strategy in this game is, but there's lots of good decisions. I think spreading out. Yeah, you... Spreading out definitely helps, but it's... You know, you're, you're getting to those monsters. Uh, each monster usually has one or two numbers that you can hit them with, but you can unlock more numbers by going to the chamber from certain paths. Yeah, by unlocking certain paths, you unlock... More numbers to hit yeah. with. Or, yeah, like... Weak spots. Weak spots, yeah, we'll say that. Uh, we only played the animal side. Yeah, the, the base dungeon that they recommend you start with. Uh, it comes with basically two pads. They're double-sided. Uh, as Jordan said, there's three or four different dungeons you can explore. And, and we will. Uh, oh, yeah. All of us really enjoyed this one. Uh, it was, as I say, very interesting. Uh, some thinkiness as the game went on. It got more and more thinky. Yeah, and one thing I've realized pretty quickly, get saving those black dice uses are very helpful because as a start player, you get to pick out of five dice instead of four dice, so you're more flexibility. Yeah, a lot of the time it's, okay, I can use this number, but it leaves me with something I can't use, so you start modifying the your combinations decide which two you can use uh and and you don't always get the best option by doing that but you don't want to take those hits no you want to try and avoid hits early on as best you can because later on you will be taking hits yeah uh so that is dungeons dice and danger by richard garfield uh sol another solid roll and write recommended for anybody who likes roll and rights mm -hmm. and uh we will talk to you next week yeah. Hi, this is Andrew Buckles of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing. This week, I'm going to talk about Undaunted Normandy. Undaunted Normandy is a 2019 release designed by David Thompson and Trevor Benjamin, with art by Roland McDonald. It was initially published by Osprey Games. Undaunted Normandy is a deck-building historical war game. It's set during World War II, specifically in Normandy, France, in the summer of 1944, following the breakout from the invasion beaches. The basic Undaunted Normandy game is for two players, with one player commanding a rifle platoon on the American side, and one player commanding a rifle platoon on the German side. However, in the later Undaunted Reinforcements expansion, there is a solo mode designed by David Turtsey and David Digby, which enables you to take on a bot controlling either of those sides. Undaunted Normandy is a scenario-based game, and there are 12 different scenarios included in the base game box. Each scenario takes about 45 to 60 minutes once you're familiar with the game, and that's true regardless of whether you're playing solo or with two players. A cool part of the scenarios in this is that for each one you will build a specific map given by the scenario book, and you do so doing terrain tiles. These are double-sided, so there is a lot of potential terrain variety, 
and even when you're using some of the same tiles the map is different based on their proximity to each other and also which ones are worth objective victory points. Some of the terrain includes open fields, forests, buildings, a canal, and high ground. So there's a lot of terrain variety and the terrain really has a significant impact on the game. Another thing that changes from scenario to scenario is the makeup of your squads. Both players in each scenario have a list of what starts in their deck and what starts in their supply that they can pick up later. In the first few scenarios, those are relatively basic cards like the platoon sergeant, squad leaders, riflemen, and scouts. In later scenarios, more advanced cards like platoon guides, machine gunners, mortars, and snipers come into play. The deck building engine at the core of Undaunted Normandy will be familiar to anyone who's played a deck builder like Dominion, Trains, or Star Realms. Each round you draw cards and then you have to decide what to do with them. As in most deck builders, there are ways to improve your deck by adding new cards and also by refining it by getting rid of less useful cards. There are some great twists here, though, that make this deck building system work very well for a platoon level historical game. To start with, rather than the standard five card hand you find in many deck builders, both players draw four cards each round. They then each select one that is used in a bid for initiative. Both players reveal that at the same time, and the higher initiative value gets to take the initiative with whoever had it to start with retaining it if there is a tie. A lot of the really good cards also have high initiative values, so you have to debate how much you want to win initiative and go first versus how much you want to use the card for its effect. The player that wins initiative then plays their three remaining cards in any order, which can be used to activate the corresponding units on the board in the case of riflemen, scouts, and so on, or to bolster or inspire squads in the case of platoon sergeants and squad leaders. Bolstering lets you add more cards from the supply to your deck, and unlike many deck builders, there isn't a cost here. You're just limited by the number of cards you can bolster. Inspiring lets you pull back a card you've already played of the specific squad and use it again. So that can be a way to get two actions for a single unit. On the map, your scouts move and explore new territory, which lets you move other units into it, but when they do so, they take Fog of War cards. These are like the waste in trains, and they wind up clogging your deck, but you can also use scouts to get rid of them. Your riflemen then move on the map, usually to objective points, and they can take control of those points if there isn't an enemy counter on the tile. And most scenarios require control of a certain value of objective points to win. Riflemen and scouts can both also attack the enemy, which requires rolling a 10-sided die, and trying to beat a value based on the opposing unit's defense, the defense of the tile it's on, and the, how far away it is. More advanced units can either do better attacks or do special attacks. And successful attacks remove a card of the corresponding unit from the game. 
so there's a lot of attrition that can pile up over time. Undaunted Normandy has a great feel of really making each scenario feel different, each unit feel different, and having the whole thing feel relatively true to what happened while still giving the players a lot of agency. It's quite easy to teach and learn, and it may be a great starting point for those looking to get into historical games. That's Undaunted Normandy, and I'm Andrew Buckholtz. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z, and you can read my board game writing at BoardingGame.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, I am Aaron Millick. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when it isn't. Wasn't that exciting, everybody? Aaron's back. Well, you know, for one episode. <laughs> for those of you who have been listening to what you've been playing for a while, you will recognize the dulcet tones of Aaron, my previous co-host, now occasional guest, and very excited to have Aaron back today. So we thought we'd do a what you've been playing, just, you know, for nostalgia purposes. Awesome. Aaron. What you been playing Wednesday? What have I been playing Wednesday? I've been playing a ton of games, but the one that I got to the table that I was unsure of whether I'd like or not came in a Kickstarter box from Steve Finn. Uh, there were four games, and this was the one I was a little bit worried about, but I ended up liking it probably one of the best of the four that were there. It's called Mining Colony. came out in 2021, as I mentioned, designer Steve Finn, art by Marius Janusonis. I don't know if I'm messing that up. And of course, published by I'm Dr. Sure you Finn. are, but we'll just leave it <laughs> Published by Dr. Finn's Games. Mining Colony is yet another game about Mars, because why not? There aren't enough of Mars games out right now. Ben Affleck would agree. <laughs> and no, wait. The, Matt Damon. The other one, yeah. Dang it, who's the Martian? Mar Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon is the Martian. Ben okay. Affleck looks like a Martian. <laughs> anyway, mining... <laughs> think Martian looks I don't like no Ben Affleck apparently <laughs> Mining right. Colony by the way is a one to four player game lasts about 40 minutes it's a I wouldn't call it a filler game even though Dr. Finn is the is the king of fillers uh, this one requires a little bit of uh, thought a little bit of uh, a little bit more than usual it's a polyomino game where you're basically collecting polyomino resources and crystals from a common area and you're trying to fill your board you're trying to fill them with astronauts with spaceships and as you add these things to your board and you can only add them on certain places on the polyomino tiles you get points but where you're trying to really score extra points is leaving space between things for example if you leave a space between one of your astronauts and a spaceship you can put a space station and those are worth two points. If you leave a space between two crystals, you can put in a science lab, which is worth two points. So while it's important to arrange your board and fill it up first, you want to leave those spaces for those bonus points if you really want to win this game. And obviously leaving blank spaces is going to end up in negative points, and then you're not going to win. So it's a point collection game. Lots of fun. Uh, definitely recommend it. And it is out everywhere in retail. I've seen it pretty much every store here in Toronto. So check out Mining Colony by Stephen. Excellent. Royce, what you been playing on Wednesday? 
what have I been playing? I've been playing a brand new version of an older game. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So a few years back, uh, Jeff Engelstein, designer Jeff Engelstein, did something that I didn't think was possible. He made a really good board game, in this case a roll and write, based on pinball. So that was Super Scale Pinball 4K. Yeah. I, I think it's great. He's brought it out since then. He had uh, Super Skill Pinball Ramp It Up, which is the sort of standalone expansion with four new tables. But the new one, Star Trek Super Skill Pinball. Oh, uh-oh. oh, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Could be. So it's got four tables. Uh, it has one that's sort of just Starfleet Academy based on the Kobayashi Maru. It's one based on the original series with the, the Trouble with Tribbles. One based on Lower Decks and one based on the Locutus storyline from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. These tables are really interesting. They do things that are completely different, mostly. Uh, the Starfleet mm-hmm. Academy one is basically a redo of the first learning game from the original series, so it's not real exciting. Uh, Trouble, Tribu- Trouble with Tribbles is really, really interesting, though, because you're collecting these tribbles, and depending on what you do, you can actually send them to other people's boards, and if you have too many tribbles, you just lose your ball right away because <laughs> they just clog up the work. <laughs> uh, the lower deck one is unique in that you only get one ball instead of three, but that one round will last a lot longer because the gravity keeps changing. And so sometimes you'll be playing on one side, then all of a sudden you'll flip the table over and be playing the other way and then flip it back. And you're constantly going to be going back and forth. And then the one that is by far the most uh, different of the bunch is the Locutus Borg uh, table where you spend the first two balls building up your fleet, building up shields and photon torpedoes and arming them and getting new ships and all this sort of thing. And so you're playing for points, but you're playing for points to get stuff. And then with the third ball, you leave your original table and you go to the glass, uh, what they call the, the glass back, and you play a game there where you are almost playing like an advanced version of Breakout hmm. against a, a Borg cube, and you're trying to take down the cube. Look, I love Star Trek. It's amazing. All of these tables are really well designed, really well thought out. It's still unbelievable to me that Jeff Engelstein was able to create super skill pinball as a roll and write that feels like a pinball game. It's from WizKids Games. Can't recommend it enough. And you're going to be excited by this. They've announced the next box. What's that? It's the super skill pinball holiday edition. Oh, it's based on three movies. Which Elf. <laughs> Elf. Yeah. Right. A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. Red Rider BB Gun. Yeah. And, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Perfect. Come on. How can I not play that? Yeah. That sounds like so much fun. That sounds great. We, yeah. we still have the first one. We haven't gotten to the table. But we do have it on your recommendation. Yeah. So Jeff Anglestein, if you're listening, you've hit one of Royce's soft spots to Star Trek. If you want to hit the even softer spot, do a Batman one. 
Yes, 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 yes. He'll yes, buy yes. 10 copies of that oh, one. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> they hand him out as gifts to everybody. Merry Christmas. I'll do it. All right. I will go <laughs> on the record. If you build me a DC Comics-based, Batman-based, anything like that neighborhood, I will buy 10 copies and hand them out as gifts to everybody who couldn't care less. There you uh, go. But I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to be back. I hope everyone's having a great time here at the Cardboard Conjecture. If you want to hear more of Royce on Definitely Board Game Podcast, look up Definitely Board Game Podcast anywhere you can find podcasts on Spotify and Apple and all those places. If you want to reach out, reach out to him at Board Definitely on Twitter, at Definitely yep. Board on Facebook, yep. and Definitely Board at gmail.com. Just like falling off a log, he's got it all down. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Royce, anything else where we go? Have a great Wednesday, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? I do believe it's what you've been playing Wednesdays. And what have we been playing? Princess Bride. Yes, we've been playing the Princess Bride adventure book game designed by Ryan Miller and published by Ravensburger. Now, this is a game for one to four players that contains six chapters, with each chapter taking about 15 minutes uh, to play. So, how would you describe uh, the game, Julie? It's like six mini games. I think that is the best way to describe it because each chapter has different tokens, different miniatures that you're going to be using and different objectives. So each chapter plays, well, fairly similarly in terms of what you, the player, are doing, but in terms of your goals and what you need to accomplish, they vary greatly. Yeah, I mean, you always have cards that you get to play that allow you to do certain actions, uh, and uh, you're uh, moving characters around the board. Um, You have different tasks that you have to accomplish. Different threats from the plot deck as well that come out. But the way you accomplish those is different, and the, you know, basically the end action that you're trying to accomplish is also different. But that being said, it's very... fairly simple um, and I think once you get the hang of it uh, it moves fairly quickly uh, I, I do you know I do feel that there is one big drawback uh, to this game and what's that the the capa- the possibility of an alpha game or taking over the game I mean because yeah. basically you could play the game alone you really can play the game alone you could play the game with one you know one-handed two-handed three-handed four-handed and there really is only one optimal action, which is very unfortunate because when things are like that, it does really put an alpha gamer in a position to, you know, kind of come to the forefront. And that's not something, well, that's something that does happen problematically from time to time. Either you or myself like to do that when we're playing games. Oftentimes it's more you, but I feel bad for my parents because both of us kind of like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, and, and uh, towards the end, because. Honestly, I have to say, I did enjoy it. I did have fun with it. However, after a couple of chapters, I'm like, okay, I get it. It's not, it, I don't know. It just didn't challenge me all that much, I guess. And I just figured, okay, I figured this out. Let's just, you know, this is what we have to do. Let's go, 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 get it done. And, and that's it. And I also feel that the fact that it is six mini games, it can actually be very frustrating to certain players depending on their familiarity with board games because they're like, well, why is this this way? Why is this that way? And that's 
not something that uh, you know that we have a problem with. That most gamers will have a problem with. You're going to look at it, and it's going to be very uh, you know quite clear, and it'll be very easy for you to play. But when it comes to playing with other players, it could be challenging for them. I get it, and it could be played with young players. Uh, I think this you know you can take them along this way and and play the game. Um, with them that way but um, you know I I still think I think if you're a fan of the movie I think you described it best because I don't know the game all that much I think it's it uh, the movie you mean sorry I don't know the movie all that much it definitely from what you say represents the movie very well yeah it is an incredibly thematic game if you're a fan of the princess bride you're gonna have a blast with this game you're gonna enjoy it but i can't tell you how many times you're gonna get this to the table is this something you're gonna play once and you're gonna sell is this something you're gonna play once every two years once every year it's not the kind of game that's gonna really hit those replayability marks because the fact of the matter is you're basically just looking at your cards which represent different aspects that are themed for the princess bride and you're just like well what do i want to play do I need to move characters or do I need to complete a challenge? Do I need to trade with another player to get the cards to complete a challenge? And there really is only one good option every single time. Now the fact that the chapter's goals and the way things work change does keep things fresh. But I do agree with you, Julia. After about chapter four or five, I was like, I could be done with this. This doesn't need to be six chapters. That being said, the six chapters very well represented the movie and you got all of the best scenes and the most memorable parts in the game. So I do appreciate it for that, but it didn't necessarily enhance my gameplay experience. I think these are fun games uh, because there's also the Wizard of Oz game, and I don't think that we're necessarily done with checking out these adventure book games. Uh, We will be reviewing the Wizard of Oz probably in the near future, but I can say that I don't think I'll be picking up another one, or if Julie would want me to pick up another one, Unless it's an IP we both love or one of us is incredibly enamored with, that it will earn that place on the shelf. And while I love The Princess Bride, I'm not enamored with it enough to necessarily keep this one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of The Princess Bride. Uh, you're a bigger fan. And, and I mean, I played the game. I had fun. I didn't hate it. But uh, definitely not my favorite in the collection. No, this is one to experience as a fan of the movie, but you don't necessarily need to own it. So on that note, you should definitely check out our full review that will show you how to play the game and give you our full thoughts that will be coming up the day after this is released, I believe. Mm -hmm. Depends on how the release schedule works. We're trying to uh, stay ahead of things here. So on that note, we're going to remind you to keep keep playing playing games. games. Hey there, it's Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And uh, it's fall, which means that uh, in a few days, there's going to be minus 40 temperatures. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Not a few days, a few hours maybe. Uh, But we're not talking about the weather. We're talking about games that uh, I've been playing recently. And uh, just a rewind from last night, uh, I had the chance to play the, the new skinned Forgotten Realms version of Marvel called Remix. And um, after we played uh, uh, Red Cathedral, I believe, uh, and I'll talk about that, uh, we played 
yeah, the remix, which is the Marvel's version of Forgotten Realms with the uh, pick up a card, drop a card, and uh, evaluate your hand. It was so cool. We There was four of us. We were able to play, oh man, three games and uh, have so much fun just trying to find those combos, trying to like look through the deck, trying to go into the discard and push the game a little bit longer. So it was, it was fun. I, it was a game that was below $30 or below $25 even maybe. And, uh, I love, yeah, you can't, you, you can't get enough of those kind of games because, uh, it's just pure joy every once in a while. So yeah, that was the Marvel version of, uh, Forgotten Realms called Remix. And as I said, uh, we played Red Cathedral designed by Isra C and Shay or Shy S, uh, published by Devere Games. And uh, this is basically you are architects and you're building the, uh, the uh, Red Cathedral in uh, the like St. Saint, Saint Basil, Basil, St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow. Uh, ordered by Ivan the Terrible, and uh, you you have uh, you have a job to do. And this is basically, oh man, it was just so much Euro fun. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed myself. First of all, it was I had so much fun with this game. Uh, in the building of the cathedral, in each column represented by these uh, cards that are, I, I understand there's a randomized. Uh, cathedral deck of what cards go where and how many per stack because in those stacks it's very much like I said hey it's like Rococo where for each floor and the dresses amount uh, for the floor value so on so forth first place gets so much second place gets the other so think of that but in columns and uh, what level of floor that you've constructed in this column and that's kind of the end game point but there's all of this other in-game stuff that is so cool there's contracts to do there's a very cool dice rondelle system of resource accumulation i would call it and um yeah it's it's a it's a fun game i can't wait to play it again uh and so yeah those are the only two games i'm going to talk about i'm going to keep it short and sweet which is so not me uh <laughs> but in both cases uh, hands down, I would play the, both those games again, Red Cathedral and uh, the remix Marvel Forgotten Realms. And just to point out, because I like to do the solo stuff, uh, the, yeah, the remix doesn't solo, but Red Cathedral does solo, and there's, the, there's an expansion coming out. And uh, Jeff was at the table, and we immediately <laughs> he immediately took out his phone and go, hey, can I get this into the store? So can't wait, can't wait. A uh, little melody song there. So uh, I could also quickly mention that last week we played one of my absolute favorite card rondelle system games, Concordia. And if you've never played Concordia, Rob, Anna Marie, I'm talking to you guys. You have to take care of that because uh, once you play, yeah, it's like a it's like a Pringles, man. I think it's Pringles. Once you have one, you can't uh, stop there. Yeah, shake your head, roll your eyes. I get it. Uh, and I also get that I need to say thank you for listening to what we have to say about board games and always, 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 I don't know where that came from, but, uh, thank you to all the content creators who, um, do such a great job contributing and making this episode happen. But 
before I go, you know what you got to do? You got to keep your stick on the ice and you got to take care out there, eh?